Before we get started, I want to tell you about my friends over at Tusk Logistics. That's T-U-S-K logistics.com. Tusk is a national network of the very best regional small parcel carriers. Again, they are national. They are an excellent alternative to UPS and FedEx who are going to raise their rates this year. Save 40% with Tusk Logistics. That's a real number. Save 40%. Check them out over at tusklogistics.com. Hit the get started button. I'll also put a link in the show notes. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. On the Logistics of Logistics, I talk to experts in logistics and transportation, warehousing, fulfillment, supply chain, and of course, technology. And during these interviews, I'm always the one asking the dumb questions. I ask the dumb questions so you don't have to. Today's topic is building a foundation for sales with my friend Chris Peer. Chris is the founder of two outstanding marketing companies, both Sync Show and G8P. Chris is also the author of the book, The Great Eight Pillars of ROI-Driven Marketing. Chris is truly a leader in sales and marketing, especially B2B sales and marketing. So please stick around and listen to our conversation. So how's it going, Chris Peer? That's going great, Joe. Thanks for having me. So Chris, please introduce yourself and your company and where you're calling from today. Great. I'm Chris Peer. I'm the CEO and founder of a company called Sync Show. We're based out of Cleveland, Ohio, specifically Westlake, Ohio. We're about 30 miles, 20 miles west of Cleveland. My company helps B2B companies in very niche industries, specifically transportation, logistics, warehousing, distribution, and manufacturing firms to improve their marketing to drive leads uh, for sales folks. Excellent. Excellent. So before we hit record, I uh, was we, t- we talked for way too long, but you also have a brand new book. So what's the name of your book? I do. It's called The Grade 8 Pillars of ROI-Driven Marketing. Excellent. Excellent. And I'm always, I've told you this before we hit record, I'm always afraid to say marketing in this space. So like you very seldom see marketing in the titles of my stuff, but marketing's having a moment. There's no VC backed company that isn't investing in marketing. There is none of the big boys who don't invest in marketing. And all of a sudden, it's not just you guys have done real well, but I see marketing companies all over this place, all over this industry. And the reason people are doing it is because it does have a return on investment. And one more time on that title. The Great Eight Pillars of ROI-Driven Marketing. Yep. Sales doesn't have to say they're ROI-driven. Ops doesn't have to say we we have a return on investment. Only marketing has to apologize for being at the table. (laughs) True. This is true. But it's changing. It is changing. And to your point, 10 years ago, a majority of manufacturing companies, transportation logistics companies, this industrial space, they didn't do marketing. They thought of it as smoke and mirrors and they've been late adopters. And now it's finally hitting. They're realizing the value and the benefits. But I, I honestly think, Joe, it's because they were forced to, not because they wanted to. <laughs> yes. Yes. And what and- I mean by that is salespeople, the buyers weren't, aren't reacting to the sales old strategies and salespeople are getting higher and higher quotas every year and they can't hit them because the buyers aren't answering the phone and they need new ways to get in front of these folks. They need some wind at their back and that's what marketing can do. And by the way, I started the logistics of logistics as a blogger and I wrote lots of articles and I got attention. And then I thought, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to help companies do what I've done, which is get notice and get favorable attention from the market and grow your business that way. 
And so I was doing that, I don't know, seven, eight, 10 years ago. And it was painful because no one really wanted to, I feel like I was, first off, I'm probably not the right guy to be doing it. But secondly, I felt like no one believes in this. And yet they're asking for it. They're like, I want this. But they basically want, they want a guarantee. And by the way, sales helps us to make the same guarantee. Like we hired a sales guy. I guarantee that we're paying him 75 grand. He's going to be worth twice that, three times that. We always have to make that promise. And we don't own the whole process. That's one of the challenges. Yeah. And by the way, my when I was doing marketing, I was had my buddies over at Sun Ant Interactive out in Milwaukee. It's my brother-in-law. <laughs> they do tons of websites. They probably have 800 websites under management and it worked with all industries. And I remember they would consistently say, there is no industry that is further behind in marketing than logistics and transportation. No industry. He goes, it's not even close. And for it's probably what, 7% of the population works in transportation and logistics. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's very true. They're traditionally been laggards, but it's, it is changing. It, it's all changing. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And it's changing for people because of people like you. So who's your sweet spot in the transportation and logistics space? Yeah, you, really, it's any transportation and logistics company looking to scale they're tired of the status quo. We have clients that are doing 20 million in revenue. We have clients that are doing a billion in revenue. It's a mindset more than it's a money. <laughs> yeah, it, it really doesn't matter. It's, are they looking to scale? Do they have marketing challenges? Do they have sales challenges? Are they trying to tie you know everything together? And do they need help? And so that, that's what gets us excited. That's what gets us out of bed in the morning. Because we love going in and working with these companies and helping them to see how marketing can really affect sales and how it can improve customer satisfaction and long-term customer growth, average order values, short and close rates, all that. Once we can get in there and really start working and people start to drink the Kool-Aid, so to speak, it it's fun. It becomes very exciting. And I would also say we're seeing more integration with sales now. This is something I've noticed is we've always had where they say that guy's in charge of sales and marketing, but it was sales was the dog and Marketing is very much the tail, if not the flea at the end of the dog's tail. <laughs> it was minuscule and it wasn't a respected space. I think we're seeing more and more companies be almost marketing driven where we want to make sure our message gets out right. And not that you're pushing sales down, you're just bringing marketing up to the place where, hey, we should be part of this defining the the marketing strategy, the so be, participating in the sales strategy, part of the value proposition, all those things that we're going to talk about here in a minute. Yeah. But, it's funny you mentioned that because I was at a conference many years ago and the keynote speaker said, sales is the lifeblood of every company and marketing is arts and crafts. And <laughs> I got to admit, I was pretty pissed off. <laughs> I, was, I was pretty disgruntled. Um, and I got home that night. This is 15 years ago. And I got home that night and I thought about it and I said, he's right. Like, cause this is back before ROI was possible to be proven by marketing and for the most part. And now, as you mentioned, more and more transportation and logistics companies are being marketing driven. And you're starting to see companies getting acquired because of the attention they garner, not because of the products or services that 
they offer. It's the amount of attention they get from their thought leadership, like the logistics of logistics. So that's why you guys are getting so popular because you're on my podcast. I should also mention, I saw Nadine, who works with you over at Sync Show, at TMSA. And that was the first time we actually met. But she's been on my podcast. We did a podcast, oh, I want to see a year, 18 months ago. And it was how to 10x your sales pipeline. So if you're interested, so we're going to touch on some of this. The strategy she talked about is the strategy we're going to talk about. So I'll put a link to that. I'm not just saying this because you're on my podcast. I've gone back and listened to this episode multiple times because I need to work on my own stuff. And I think it's just, it's missed. People are so interested. And by the way, if I would say, I say this all the time, if you need a sale today, don't talk about marketing. You don't have time for that. If your life is on the line, you got to sell something today, get on the phone, start sending emails. That's it. But if you want to build a lasting, sustainable business, you do have to develop some marketing. And nobody is going to be killed if they don't get something by the end of the day. You might get fired, but we need to start looking at this as not as the tail. We need to start looking at this as part of the dog. So anyway, tell us a little bit about you, Chris. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some career highlights before you started Sync Show. Oh, all boring stuff, but I moved around a lot as a kid. I was born in New Jersey, in Wayne, New Jersey. Moved around a lot. I've lived in over 19 different locations throughout my life. Assuming you went with your family? Yeah. (laughs) So I ended up going to college at Kent State in Ohio. Very nice. um, Worked for a couple of marketing agencies after, and then I I went corporate. I I worked for American Greetings for five years, literally helping design cards and gift wrap. That was fun. And then went to Ernst & Young in their education and training division called IntelliNex. Did that for five years. And then I started my own agency. So how did you end up focusing? I know you do some stuff in manufacturing and I know you do stuff over here, obviously in transportation and logistics. That's why I'm talking to you. But how did you end up on this side of the fence? Because this is the B2B that is not as glamorous as say the B2C stuff that we see. When I first started my company back in 2002, our first customer was a golf ball manufacturer. And... I just fell in love with the process. And then I started learning about how they needed to handle fulfillment and distribution and all the logistics side of it. And it all came together as one big ball. And I I just really was enamored by that whole process. Yeah, B2B marketing isn't as sexy as B2C and it's definitely very different. But one of my early clients, it's actually a story in the book. It was, I had a business partner in this business for a while and it was his cousin and his cousin owned this large company in, in Indiana. And we had helped them get a, you mentioned you were in the automotive industry. Yep. We helped them get a deal with Ford that was in excess of 30 million because of the marketing. Wow. And shortly after that, they fired us because their VP of marketing left and they hired somebody else and they wanted to support that person. And the answer that the president of the company gave me when I asked him why we were getting fired or terminated was because they didn't see the ROI. And I said, what about the Ford deal? <laughs> yeah. And we would have got that anyway. And of so I realized we had to do something different. So that sent us on this. That is uh, very true. When I was doing marketing, I remember getting let go. And then as an after, afterthought said, oh, and by the way, 
you know, it was no hard feelings. I, I, by the way, I never want to push somebody to continue spending with me if they're not seeing the value. Um, I told them, and I always, this is my mindset is when somebody says, how long till it pay back? I don't know. It's like going to the, I always say, it's like going to the gym, going to the gym and watching what I eat. When will that pay off? I don't know. I, I like it to pay off today or tomorrow, but I'm pretty confident it's not, right? You have to be consistent. You have to be good at it. You have to be consistent at it for a while before it actually works. And I think we demand it to work overnight. And that's sometimes the challenge. But anyway, when I was getting let go by these guys, this is just not working out. And then they go, oh, by the way, the webinar we did it the other day, we got two customers from that. I said, the webinar where I created the entire presentation, <laughs> handed it to you, and then moderated it. <laughs> You got two customers I, that paid for the year. Um, yeah. And I was like, okay, never mind. Like <laughs> we're coming from this from very different places. Yep, exactly. So I want to take a quick time out to tell you, you can now listen to the logistics of logistics on wreaths across America radio. I'll put a link in the show notes. Wreaths across America provides informational, inspiring content about members of the U S armed forces, their families and military veterans. Their mission is to remember, honor, and teach. Wreaths Across America succeeds because of the generous support of the trucking community. Take a listen and please consider volunteering. So we talked about when and why you started, but why did you stay in the transportation logistics? Did you see this as, it was just happenstance or just think they need me more? <laughs> no, I think, like I said, it was just this whole system that I, I this is going to sound a little hokey and maybe corny, but I really believe that the industrial space here in the States drives our economy. You've got the transportation and logistics folks that bring all the products to us and help put everything happen. You got the manufacturers that make it. And I just, there's something about that, that I just really, love. so as we were working with these companies and we started doing a good work, our name started to travel. We started doing more and more work with them. So then we just decided let's specialize in this. So now we know everything about like our customers, buyers, and how they make buying decisions and how to reach them and how to set them up for success. And that's, I, I don't want to dip into other markets and test those waters because this is working really well. You guys are killing it. And by the way, the name of your company is Sync Show, S-Y-N-C Show, one word. How did you end up with the name Sync Show? Oh man, so this goes back many years ago, 20 years ago. It was actually... My business partner, I mentioned, he came up with the name years ago, and it was synchronizing the display of information. Because um, what we were doing back then, I don't know if you remember flash animations, graphics, when that was all new and the internet was really exploding, and we just started to be able to do video and animations and illustrations that were animated, Sync Show came from that. And then it just stuck. We kept it. And by the way, one of the things, I, I will say this is a small company myself, it is very difficult to get your messaging and your look to sync across all the social media platforms on all your web pages. My, I've been a, a blogger for a long time, so I have all these old blog posts. You either have to delete them or update them. It's a constant pain in the ass with syncing. So you something, and it, and it always culminates when somebody reaches out and says, "Hey, I saw this," and you're like, "Oh God, <laughs> where'd you find that?" <laughs> well, it's I could have made a, a greater story and taken some liberties there, but 
how we've adapted it is we're synchronizing sales and marketing. Um, so it, that's why we kept the name. Yep. So the name of your book is the great eight pillars of ROI driven marketing. So let's talk about those eight great pillars. What is the first pillar that we should all be focused on? Right. So yeah, they're actually in order of importance. At least I believe that the first one is goals, KPIs, and industry benchmarks. Goals, KPIs, industry benchmarks. All right. What is that? So over the years, we've identified the reason, the way we came up with these eight pillars is we identified that almost all the companies we worked with were doing marketing tactical implementation and, and in many cases very well, but they still weren't getting ROI. So when we built these pillars, what we recognized is what they all came down to wasn't how to do tactical marketing, not how to do email or SEO or how to build a website. It was more about your infrastructure. So your operational infrastructure. And if you got it right, then it would improve sales. So the first thing we said is you don't know where you're going unless you set a goal. So creating smart goals that are tied to an ROI. So marketing needs to deliver results and those results need to be tied to sales revenue. And if they're not, then you can't quantify ROI. Since I am a podcaster, I do have sponsors. So my sponsors, some are really good at attributing stuff back, by the way, if anytime uh, somebody can say, yeah, somebody called us and said, we listened, we heard that you on the podcast and we want to work with you. I heard the advertisement. I want to work with you. Feels like the majority of companies aren't able to easily do that attribution. So a lot of marketers will say to me, podcasts are great, except you can't always attribute the sale to it. And I always say, I, I know that's true, but I also know like when somebody might hear you on my podcast and then click through on LinkedIn and reach out to you and maybe not mention, say, hey, Chris, blah, blah, blah. And, or they connect you with you on LinkedIn and then six months later, reach out and, or go through Google and Google your website. I always say Google gets so much credit that it doesn't earn. Don't tell them I said that. <laughs> they own me in that if somebody heard you on my podcast and said, oh yeah, just a sync show. I Googled it. Here it is. Yep. These are the guys. <laughs> So those goals, KPIs and industry benchmarks, I know they have to be somehow tied to some sort of attribution that's that tactic or that strategy worked, right? Yeah. And then we get into that later. I think it's pillar number six, it's analytics and reporting. So that's how we tie that back in to understand how, are, what data are we getting? How can we get data and how do we prove what we do matters? Yep. Cool. So I, again, I love having KPIs for it because it feels to your point you mentioned at one time you heard somebody say call marketing arts and craft, and it was looked at as less serious about getting sales. And now again, I said it, your book has to say of ROI driven marketing. Now you're saying, hey, dude, measure us. If you're working with us, we're going to show you how to measure us. And if it you doesn't know, I'll work. Tell you a story, and this leads into the next pillar, which is value proposition. We had a client out of Chicago probably about seven years ago. And we had first started working with them and the owner had mentioned to me, she said, what can I expect from working with you? This is right when we first started working together. And I said, I'll be able to tell you within about nine months, whether you have a sales issue, a marketing issue or a value prop issue. 
And we went to the quarterly business review for the third quarter. It was nine months later. We were excited because the data proved the marketing was working really well. And I also knew that their salespeople were doing really well because they were logging everything in their CRM system. They were following up. Anyway, we had about 15, 20 people in the room. She walks in before we could even get started. She goes, where are my new customers? You promised me I'd have new customers. And I said, no, I promise you, I'd be able to tell you where your issue was. And I said, I can tell you without a doubt, your marketing is kicking butt. All the data supports it. I can tell you your salespeople are kicking butt. All the data supports it. Your value proposition needs work. And she got really mad at me because I called her baby ugly because she founded the company. But we worked on the value proposition. And three months later, they had their biggest new customer acquisition month ever. They landed 17 new customers in one month. And it was because we fixed their positioning. And that's why we did pillar number two, value proposition, messaging, and branding. Yeah, that's, that is so important. And especially in our space where it is very commoditized sometimes. I, before we hit record, I told you that I, somebody said on my podcast the other day, I forgot who it said, it's purchasing jobs, procurement's job to create commodities. And so they want to be able to say, I'm looking at these four transportation companies and I want to compare them apples to apples. And then I want to go with the best value, right? And price is going to be part of that. But it seems as if, so if you ask us the average shipper, and by the way, I used to always tell people, just ask your customer what they want. You ask a lot of customers, especially on the dock, they're like, uh, price has got to be right and I need good service. Okay. All right. <laughs> I will tell my marketing team, they'll be very excited. That'll give them good direction to work with. <laughs> no, and I think especially with 3PLs or trucking companies. If you compete on price, it's a quick road to the bottom. And because somebody's always going to try to beat you on price. And usually it's the much larger companies that can afford to do it for a short-term acquisition. How do you compete? And everybody's got a different value proposition that they can craft and build upon. And they have different unique skill sets or features, functions, capabilities that they don't talk about. Yep. I say this all the time also in regards to value proposition. I say we are irrational beings. So we all think we are making the right decision. But when next time you're in the grocery store, pay attention to how you buy stuff. And you go, oh, I always buy generic tuna fish because the tuna fish is tuna fish. But then when you go, oh, I always buy Tide because my mom says it's best. <laughs> like <laughs> These very irrational decisions that we don't even think about, we just make them. And I think we still work with a lot of people who we love, we know and trust. I say this all the time on my podcast. I think one of the reasons podcasts work is you're on my podcast and somebody says, you know what? I heard Joe talk to Chris and I like Chris. I trust him. I relate to him on some level. I want to work with him. And I'll and maybe not saying that's I'm going to work with them because I like him, but if they don't like you, they're not going to work with you. If they don't trust you, they aren't going to work with you. And I think then we justify stuff. <laughs> we just published a blog on our website this morning and it's about value proposition. And it's I think the title of it is something about a pinky swear. When you were a kid, you did a pinky swear. And it's as you mentioned, it's that trust you build, it's that promise you make. And your marketing messaging needs to be communicated and you know, the messaging needs to support the value proposition, but it needs to be communicated clearly and um, differentiated from your competitors. And if it's not, 
nobody knows why they should do business with you. Uh, am I right to say this? I think I've noticed this also when I was trying to do marketing. Again, I, I can't compare what I did to what you guys are doing. But so many people would say the reason our, we have customers work with us is because they trust us. They know we're honest. We provide excellent customer service. I was like, yeah, those are all read. Those are you must have those to get have customers. But that's not your value proposition, right? Yeah. What exactly. is the value proposition? What is that? They they have to like you. They have to trust you. They have to know you, relate to you on some level, believe that you have the basics in place. What is the value proposition? So value proposition is an articulated statement, a well-articulated and differentiated statement that says who you are, what you do, and why it matters. Why should your buyers choose you versus the competition? And if you can't articulate that for yourself, then the buyers obviously can't. So they're going to go to somebody who can. So why should I believe you're going to get my products to me on time? Why, why, why should I believe that? What makes you different? Is your technology, is your TMS system better, different, better used? Do you have more experience in the industry? Do you have a better training? What, whatever it is, it could be a number of different things. And usually, Joe, it's not one independent, unique thing. It's a combination of three or four things that make you truly unique. But you need to be able to articulate that. And then what really makes it powerful is if you can quantify that to a specific niche or component of the industry. Like we have some of our customers are just in e-commerce logistics. Some are just trailer rentals. Some are just trucking companies. Some are just distribution and warehousing. So you have to have the value prop that meets your unique buyer. Because if you try to be everything for everybody. Oh, yeah. You're nothing for nobody. So. Exactly. And by the way, that was the default position 10 years ago. Everybody said, and I think it was an industry that is always trusted partner. So if you, Chris, were a shipper and you said, Joe, you've been doing a great job on my LTL and truckload. Do you guys do anything global? And I say, yeah, yeah, of course I do. Because I'm moving some freight forwarder stuff and I call my buddy and I say, hey, it's got to go through us, but we'll pay you. And <laughs> everyone has a buddy who can help them. And the problem with that is you don't get known for anything. You don't get a specialization. I think the I think we all should specialize. I think we're seeing more and more of this where somebody says, we specialize in this industry group. And by the way, if you have to make a cold call today, I think you're so much better off to be able to call and say, I am the reason I'm leaving your voice message or sending that email because they aren't answering <laughs> is to be able to say we work exclusively with or I work exclusively with automotive companies. We have over 10 companies. I understand the space. I understand you might have these following problems. We deal with those every day. So much better than saying, yeah, hi, Mr. Automotive Company. We want to earn your business. <laughs> we provide service and honesty and <laughs> the American way. <laughs> Sounds like nonsense compared to having a, an actual niche. And what's sad is we all get those phone calls. <laughs> right. And by the way, I always say, if you have a pipe burst at your house today, you don't go, oh boy, I hope I can find a plumbing sales guy to talk to. You're like, no, I'm looking for a plumber. I want a, a flat out expert. And I want him over here right now. <laughs> I don't want a sales talk. Anyway, so we talked about two of the eight pillars. The first one is goals, KPIs, industry benchmarks. Next is value proposition. What's number three? 
Number three is marketing strategy. What is that? Over the last 20 years I've been in business, we've had hundreds of clients. Not a single one when we first started working with them was able to provide us with a written documented marketing strategy. They have business plans, they have sales plans and sales strategies, but nobody ever had a marketing strategy. It's pillar number three, because once you have your goals set, once you have your value proposition defined, you have to build a marketing strategy. It's how you're going to communicate that value proposition, your message, your brand out to the market. And a very strong marketing strategy will not only have your value proposition listed and the goals and the key performance indicators that you're going to track and the industry benchmarks that you're going to aspire to, but also how you're going to get there. So what does your content strategy look like? Who are your buyer personas? What is your ideal customer profile? Specifically, who are they? What do they look like? How do they make buying decisions? Does your sales process align with it? Does your marketing align with it? And then how are you going to go out and reach them? If you don't have a marketing strategy, which as I mentioned, 100% of the clients we've worked with over the past 20 years have not had, bad things happen. And what typically happens is they either hire agencies that don't build a marketing strategy or they hire internal folks. And what they want to do is they want to get results quick. So they jump straight into tactics. I call it whack-a-mole style marketing, where you're just banging on different tactics, trying to get results. And then what would be a tactic within that? Maybe we'll do social media or we'll do a pay-per-click advertising or we'll do email marketing, whatever the marketing tactic is. And then what happens is they might see some success, but it might not deliver a full ROI. So in order to appease leadership, they start doing more of it. And then they start doing more and they jump around and they don't get results. And then it burns out everybody. Yeah. And I've, I've done some of this myself with the mistakes and my friend Blythe Broomleave, she's got a podcast, everything is logistics. And she said on my podcast, we did a podcast called connecting the digital dots. And I thought it was a brilliant way to describe what most of us don't do in marketing, which is created content, but did it actually get out to via the, all the social media properly did they convey what it was supposed to convey? But then also when they did come to your website, was there a way to convert? And usually there's multiple breaks in that in that process. And I was like, oh yeah, there's tons of people who can create great content and maybe even have a good message. But if there's no way to ever push that back to, here's how we, here's how we actually talk to customers and close deals. And I think Nadine... That's when I talked to her, she said something very interesting. She said, sometimes you see sales, all of a sudden we increase the sales uh, quota 30%. Okay. What are you doing to enable that? They're going to double down. We're going to grind. We're going to do all these things, which sounds like no plan at all. <laughs> like, and I would, if I had a sales strategy that said, and a sales goals that said, I'm going to sell this much and I don't have a marketing strategy that aligns to that, I lose. <laughs> yeah, I, I like to think of marketing as pre-sales because what we're really doing is in order to establish ROI, you have to get business revenues. I think having marketing be separate from sales is a bad idea. And I really like to think of it as one team um, and one team works together to get the end result, but it's still a very fragmented situation in 99% of the companies where you got your sales team and then you got your marketing team. I think that's a big mistake. Yep. Yep. What's after marketing strategy? 
So after marketing strategy, you've got your marketing team structure. That's pillar number four. And what marketing team structure is really that chapter talks about is how to set up the structure of your team, meaning the people that do the work properly for success. If you, you could have a, a great value prop, you could have all your goals set, you could have a great marketing strategy, but if you don't have a team to pull it off, it's worthless. So we break it down into different categories. Specifically, we use an analogy like a sports team. With sports team, you've got the coaches, you've got your A players, your starters, you've got your B players, which are up and coming that are going to be the future all-stars. And then you've got your logistics people or project managers that are you know, getting everybody to the games and making sure everything happens. Everybody's uniforms are clean and everything. So in, in marketing, your coaches are what we call your strategists. You need to have a strategist that really understands the whole picture. That might be your agency. It might be in-house. It might be a consultant, but you need to have a strategist. Then you need your tactical implement or specialists, we call them. These are the tactical implementation people, but they need to be specialists in their chosen area of marketing expertise, whether it's search engine optimization or conversion rate optimization or video development. There could be dozens of different types of specialists. And then you've got your logistics people, which are the project managers. So you need the project managers to get the job done, make sure that the work is getting out on time, quality deliverables. So that's what I, meant, that's what I mean by marketing team structure. Yeah. And again, I think the, the, I always think of roles and responsibilities in operations. You always say roles and responsibilities. You figure out who's going to do what, because it's really easy to get in that mode of, Hey, we got a great team here. I heard somebody tell me this. He was a consultant and he was working with a logistics company and they had five founders and they had different strengths and weaknesses, obviously, but no one was 100% responsible for sales and no one was 100% responsible for ops. No one is 100% responsible for finance. Now, people all dabbled, which was fine when they were small and they were growing, but then they got to a size where all of a sudden, this doesn't work anymore. We need to be able to say, Chris, you are 100% responsible for sales. Joe, you are 100% responsible for it. And, and then you're going to have a team around you. It makes no sense to have that we all dabble in it. So then no one's really to blame. And I give marketers so much credit because it really is a fairly misunderstood by leadership, misunderstood role. A lot of leadership says, we'll just hire one marketer and they'll do everything. Well, to find somebody that can really have multifaceted skill sets is not only hard, but a lot of marketers pull it off to a degree. But a strategist is wired very differently than somebody who's doing implementation. A really great strategist may not have as much detail orientation as you need in like a project management role. So I just had this conversation with a gentleman yesterday, a business owner, and he's, I'm thinking about letting go my VP of marketing because he's just not doing a great job. I said, well, what's going on? He's like, he's screwing, he screwed up an email program. There was like a broken link and it's happened a couple of times. And I said, your VP of marketing is sending out emails and responsible for QA of links. Let's go through this process because you may have the right person in place at the VP. You just don't have the supporting cast to support that level of leadership. 
Oh yeah, that, and by the way, that what you said just struck me because I, I was I'm, I've been an ops guy. I've been it was an engineer. I, I launched cars. I was a logistics guy. So when I started writing about logistics uh, and supply chain, I felt like I had some background to write about it, and I felt like that was good. But as far, as far as calling myself a marketer, no, I would not like to call myself a marketer because I don't know. I don't know the, all the stuff we're talking about well enough. It's I think we can all understand it, but there's a big difference between saying strategist and being one, right? And I started saying a few years ago, I'm just a content marketer. And that meant not to diminish the role, but it's recognizing that I don't want to run the HubSpot program. I don't want to have to do the marketing strategy. That's not where I fit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I want to take a quick time out to tell you about my friends over at Greenscreens. That's greenscreens.ai. Greenscreens is a dynamic pricing technology for the truckload spot market that delivers buy and sell side market intelligence to help brokers and 3PLs grow and protect their margins. Freight brokers and 3PLs using Greenscreens gain the following advantages. Faster pricing for both buy side and sell side transactions. Pricing that is more accurate and more likely to win profitable business. Guys, dynamic pricing is the next killer app. Hundreds of freight brokers are already using it because it enables them to develop faster, more accurate quotes. This is the time. Check out Green Screens in the show notes, greenscreens.ai. So getting back to it, what's number five? What's the fifth pillar? So number five is the almighty website. Uh. So as we talk about websites as marketers in order to, you mentioned earlier, Joe, the attribution capabilities, like how do we really understand where people come from and what marketing tactics are working and which ones aren't and how do we track the ROI? At, at Sync Show, our job is to drive all of the traffic to the website so that we can track them. And there are some newer challenges with that, with uh, GDPR's rules on privacy and things like that. But for the most part, we want to drive people to the website. And that website needs to be created and built a certain way. You got to make sure your value proposition is very clearly articulated on there. You have to have the right calls to actions. You have to give people a path. You have to have content that answers the questions of the unique buyer personas. And it has to be professional. Your brand and just the way it looks and the experience people have is critical because it speaks volumes for whether they're going to do business with you. And if you can get all those things together right, it's not uncommon to be able to charge more for your business, your services. Yeah. And by the way, we do know that when companies are getting bought, a lot is looked at. They look at your website. They look at your value proposition. They want to make sure that I'm buying a company that specializes in the Northeast and it's very clear that's what they do. That's where their customers are. This is who they're attracting. It can't be a hodgepodge. And again, websites are, I look at websites every day because I interview people and I often put their, I'm putting their links. I'm always surprised how many websites I find that Google says that is uh, not a secure website. So you're basically telling you're telling people, <laughs> your prospective customers, yeah, you can work with us. We're not safe. We might compromise your information. We don't follow up on details. <laughs> and I, when you said getting the website all right, I, my first thought as a small business owner here, 
I have a website and I have a very close relationship with my friends at SunAnt. And I always feel like I get my website right occasionally, 100% right. But it's not just the, the big pieces. It's also when people come, they have to be able to convert. One of the things that my friends at, at SunAnt always say is people want to use Google Ads to drive traffic to a website that doesn't have any way to convert. That, that's, so he says, so you want to spend $10,000 on ads and then people get there and they go, cool, cool website, Joe. It's basically Joe. another ad, yeah. <laughs> cool website, love it. <laughs> uh, go somewhere else. Anyway, website's got to be right. And ev everybody thinks like I do. <laughs> I just worked on the website last month. What do I have to, it's good. Nope. <laughs> it's got to be worked on all the damn time. <laughs> exactly. And Joe, one thing I think is important to mention, not only do we have these eight pillars, but there are over a hundred gold standards across these pillars that we've defined. And the website specifically probably has about 30 gold standards that it needs to measure, be measured against. And these are just industry best practices, Google standards, you name it. And, it, and if any of those are missing, Again, your your uh, results are diminished. Yep. And I will also say this. I'm sh One of the big shocks I have is when I go to a website and there's not enough content on there. It's just very noticeable to me. Or spelling errors. I can't believe I see spelling errors on websites. Those, like, those are little things you can figure out without a lot of it. Just have mom look over your shoulder if you need to, but it can't be wrong. <laughs> and another thing, you need an about page. I think that's, a, that, that's probably one of your gold standards. It drives me crazy when there's not an about page on a website. So you're like, what is this company about? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what they do. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So what's number six? Number six is analytics and reporting. Ah. What gets measured gets improved. The data that we have in marketing today is amazing. It's really become a science. Whether it's website traffic or social media engagement or email open rates, conversion rates, there's dozens of different data sets that you can look at. And so first it's the analytics. It's, a, it's acquiring the right analytics. And we, we mapped this all out in the book as far as which ones should you be looking at. And then which ones are ROI-driven analytics versus vanity metrics? Like, I, I would call a vanity metric something like likes on Facebook or something like that. They might be important in, in it, their own right, but they're not necessarily going to lead directly to ROI. So, you know, being able to track your leads, your sales qualified leads, your marketing qualified leads, your conversion rates, these are all levers you can pull to adjust your strategy. So having the right analytics is important. And then reporting, what is what are you reporting on? How often are you reporting in your reporting cadence? And then who's getting those reports? So in the book, we talk about marketing reports that executives love. And typically that executive is the VP of sales or the CEO. So, you know, as this all rolls up into sales, having reports that support what you do and why it matters is really important. Yep. And this is where you guys prove your ROI right here with those analytics and reporting. And it is amazing how how much better this stuff. I just met with, I think it was a company called Pearl Diver the other day. And they said, we'll tell you, <clears throat> we'll tell you the email address of the people who visit your website. 
And I was like, whoa, whoa. That, and that's, that is crazy. That is forever. The problem with the website is I don't know who visits. <laughs> yeah, it's, we're getting much more sophisticated. So when you think about that, when you think of your sales team sending out emails to people on LinkedIn, by the way, stop using LinkedIn to spam people, especially everybody who's selling franchises. I don't think they listen to my podcast, but if you know them, tell them to leave me alone. I don't need a franchise. But people constantly are just sending emails out and then your marketing team can probably tell you, this company has hit your website 10 times in the last month and you didn't reach out to them. Anyway, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read some of these and then I'm going to ask you for number seven. So number one, goal, KPIs, industry benchmarks. Number two, value proposition. Number three, marketing strategy. Four, team structure. Five, websites. Six, analytics and reporting. What is number seven? Number seven is your technology stack. Do you have uh, the right technologies to pull it off? Yeah. And are you guys, you talking about is that like HubSpot or Marketo and that kind of stuff? Exactly. Yeah. When we talk about tech stack, as marketers here at SyncShow, we exclusively use HubSpot. Nothing against any of the other marketing automation platforms. Yep. We've worked with Marketo. We've worked with Pardot, Acton, you name it. We just feel HubSpot is the best tool for ROI-driven marketing. But if you feel like Marketo is better for your company, that's fantastic too. But the point is having a technology that helps you become more effective and efficient and can give you the analytics and the data and the capabilities to pull off your marketing strategy. Yep. My buddies over at Sunant, I keep referencing this because that's my experience with marketing is working with them. They just do the websites, not the rest of it. But one of the things they would always say is we talked to a ton of people who said, we used to use Marketo. We used to use HubSpot. Now we're getting rid of it. And he always say, Matt Collins over there, general manager say, it's not the tool. It's just, you didn't change your behavior to use it. So there's all sorts of great tools and getting the right tech stack. By the way, that is also the story of CRMs, right? There's lots of us who've bought CRMs and go, I'm going to, I'm going to use this. I'm going to use it the right way. And then we, somewhere along the line, we say it just doesn't work for us. It didn't, we weren't spending the time we needed to. And that kind of gets back to that whole team structure. So if you see yourself, if you're more the, the strategist and I say, I'm just not using the CRM the way it should be used. And I, I feel guilty about it. Maybe it's because you're not the guy who should be using it every day. Exactly. You mentioned CRM and CRM is part of that tech stack we're talking about. So if your marketing automation software like HubSpot or Marketo is not tied into a CRM, whether it's using HubSpot CRM or Salesforce or Zoho, whatever you're using, if they're not connected, it's very difficult to prove ROI because we want to be able to track first point of contact with a prospect to closed customer and look at the average order values and look at your close rates and number of SQLs and MQLs, marketing qualified and sales qualified leads in your pipeline. But then we also talk about other technologies in there, such as like search engine optimization technologies like SEM Rush, different social media platforms and, and things like that, so that you have the right technologies to pull it off. Yeah. That's what we're talking about. And by the way, we talked early on in this podcast, ROI driven marketing. What you just described there is more ROI driven than virtually anywhere else you'll see in the space. The sales doesn't talk that level of detail about how they got that sale. 
ops doesn't prove that they're worth that way every day. And so we've come a long way. I think a lot of people, if you haven't looked at marketing, not, not in the last 10 years, in the last five years, last three years, this is this stuff that you just described. I know it's been out there in some format for a while, but I think it's really gotten to a sharp point in the last few years. It's evolving and it's constantly evolving. And again, this is probably the most valuable data you're going to get in your business. Who's your next customer? So what's number eight? Number eight is templates and guides. So at the end of the day, what we're talking about when you're talking about ROI-driven marketing is working product, improving productivity and efficiency. And so templates and guides are a big piece of this. So having templates that you can use over and over again, whether it's a standard blog template or a landing page template or an email template, newsletter templates, there's dozens of templates. Instead of reinventing the wheel for years as marketers, we invented the wheel, reinvented the wheel every single time. Like everything was custom built. Whole websites can be built on templates now and they can be pretty amazing with a template. So leveraging templates is critical. Then also guides, best practices. So those best practices may be internal or industry-wide. So like websites like HubSpot have extensive resources for best practices and guides. But what we really encourage our clients to do is internally, that old saying, a manager or a person will say, it's faster for me to do it myself than to show somebody right. how to do it. If you say that, you need a guide written. So write the guide. It might be a short Put it into a knowledge base, put it into your server, wherever your team can get access to it and help people to learn and understand the, the, the way things are done at your organization when it comes to marketing and sales. And then you have that repetitive process and then it starts to snowball. Yep. And I think probably one of those templates and guides are to your sales team to say, this is the message that we have. I think we've I think we all know this. There is a disconnect from the top of the house to the bottom of the house. We hire young people usually to bang those phones and send emails out and reach out to our customers. And the CEO, maybe the CMO, head of sales, they all know exactly our value proposition, how we go to market. Do the guys at the bottom, does the guys and gals who just got there who are representing your company, do they know the messaging that they're supposed to be using? And I will say the answer is generally no, they do not. They're making it up as you, they go along and they don't feel comfortable about it. They would appreciate a template or a guide. Like a perfect example to piggyback on that is imagine you have 20, 50, 100 sales reps. And every time a deal closes, one of them sends an email out to their customer that just purchased and says, thank you for your order. Or, thank you for whatever. And everybody writes a separate email. And every time they land a new customer, they write a separate email. And it's not following corporate branding. It might not following their writing style guides, all these. Oh, also little things like links. So somebody was on my podcast, my friend Chana, and he said, I put, he was in my podcast and he said, I put the podcast interview in my email signature. And he says, people click on it. And he goes, then he goes, and it, he goes, I think it really does us a lot of good. So I'm sure there's marketing would say, we want people to click on this link. We got 20 people sending emails out all day. Why can't that be in your signature line? What occurs to me about all of this is 
we need to tighten it up. We need to, to dot the I's and cross the T's and get everything connected that needs to be connected. So I'm going to read these one more time, and then I want to get your final thoughts on these eight pillars. So talking to Chris Peer, the founder over at Sync Show, and we're talking about his new book, The Great Eight Pillars of ROI-Driven Management Marketing. And it's number one is goals, KPIs, industry benchmarks. Number two is value propositions. These are all the pillars. Number three is marketing strategy. Number four is team structure. Number five, website. Number six, analytics and reporting. Number seven, tech stack. And then number eight, we just talked about, which is templates and guides. Final thoughts, Chris Peer. Final thoughts is if you are a marketer or you're a sales leader and you're really looking to improve your results and your you know revenue growth, focus on your marketing infrastructure. Focus on getting the brass tacks in place and your foundation in place. It might not lead to immediate results like next week, but you will build a long-term sustainable marketing and sales infrastructure that will help you snowball and really build you know, your organization. Excellent. Excellent. So Chris, I like to interview smart, interesting people like you who are killing it in the space. Who else should I interview? So Joe, I, one, of, one of the people I look up to in the space that really understands the sales space within logistics is a gentleman named Vin Gulasano. Vin Gulasano. Definitely reach out to Vin. Not only is he a client, but he's also a consultant in the space and works with many logistics. And what's he helping them with? With their sales. Oh God, we all need that. <laughs> what's, who's, I know you had another one. Who else? Yeah, I would also reach out to Jahan Byrne over at Matson Logistics. I met him at TMSA and actually yeah. I met him about the same time I saw Nadine uh, Nocero, what's her last name? Nocero Tai? Sarah, yeah. Nocero Tai. I saw her at Manifest and I saw him. We're all in the same group. So I, I would love to interview Jahan. He's over at Matson, right? He's at Matson Logistics. Dynamic individual, really knowledgeable in the space. He's on the board at TMSA. I think you really like him. Excellent. So I'll interview Vin. I'll interview Jahan. Anyone else I should talk to? No, I think that's it. Those are two really great folks. Always happy to make introductions if I think anybody else, but yeah. Excellent. So what I'll do, Chris, is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile. I'll put a link to Sync Show and any other links you and your marketing team give me. And I suspect you have a pretty good marketing team for yourself. And I said this before we hit record and I'll say it again. What I always find interesting about people who are own marketing companies or run marketing companies is you're also in business. So this isn't, this is a little different than, oh, we think this works. No, you have to eat your own cooking over there. I think so. So, so you said you guys have grown, you've done well. So this works for you. And it's not just you that it works well for, but if it's not working, if one of these eight pillars is broken, you're going to notice it in your own business probably before anybody else. Exactly. Exactly. And I think Nadine made the point when she was on, she goes, I'm a marketer. She goes, but that's what I sell. She goes, but I'm a salesperson. If I don't sell, I don't get to be a marketer. <laughs> <laughs> so I think this is, these are people who you, Nadine and others are the people who truly understand marketing and truly understand sales. And I don't think, I think you could be jaded and go, oh, they're just really good at selling. But I don't think that's the case anymore. We would not see the massive increase in marketing growth in the space otherwise. The results prove it too. Customer testimonials. And so it's really important just to get those things right. Again, one more time. Who's the sweet spot for 
Sync Show. Sweet spot is going to be industrial companies in transportation, logistics, warehousing, distribution, and manufacturing. Um, we only work with B2B organizations in that space. And companies looking to grow. We have small middle market organizations. We have enterprise level billion dollar clients. But it really doesn't matter to us. What we're doing is we're looking for companies that are looking to scale and that have the issues and challenges that we can help solve. Excellent. Excellent. So what I'll do, I'll put all those links in the show notes and what conferences we see you guys at besides TMSA, you know, what other conferences right now, I don't have any scheduled. I'm doing a big book promotion right now. Ah, really promoting that. We'll put a link in the show notes so people can get, reach out and get your book. I appreciate it, but hopefully I'm going to be attending a lot more shows in the future, especially to promote the book and maybe do some speaking. Excellent. Chris, thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks, Joe. I appreciate it. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You have been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage with leaders in the logistics and supply chain community. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, hit the like button, and leave us a nice review on Apple or Spotify or wherever else you listen. Also, please check out our videos on YouTube and connect with us on LinkedIn. We're very big on LinkedIn. And you can also reach us on the logisticsoflogistics.com, our website.